Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us this week, we have Jera. Hello. We have Sue. Hi there. We have the effervescent Andy. Hi. Effervescent as ever. <laughs> Before we get started with our main topic today, we've got a little bit of housekeeping first. Our show is supported entirely by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. And we've we've actually got a lot of housekeeping this week, don't we? Well, we have a book club episode coming up in about a month from today. And for our latest book club uh, selection, we picked The Last Best Hope, which is the first Picard tie-in novel, and it's by Una McCormack. So if you're interested in contributing to that discussion, you still have a little bit of time to read the book before the episode, and you can jump over to our Goodreads group. There's a link on our website at womenatwarp.com down on the sidebar to join that discussion. Also, if you're interested in writing for our blog, you can go to womenatwarp.com and click on contribute uh, in the top menu bar. And uh, we always uh, like hearing from you and seeing some awesome ideas uh, that you have to blog about. The one that I'm currently just getting ready to prep, which will be up by this time the episodes drops, is on the top 10 similarities between Star Trek The Next Generation and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I hope you enjoy. A lot of crossover appeal there. Yeah, and we've mentioned the last few episodes about the Roddenberry Podcast Network master feed. If you listen to multiple shows on the network or are interested in checking them out, that podcast feed is there. And subscribe and you'll get every episode of every show on the network delivered right to whatever podcatcher you use. You should be able to find it in any podcatcher just by searching Roddenberry, and it should come right up. We also do want to mention we are all in North America, of course, and we are, as we record, in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak. A lot of conventions that we have mentioned before have been canceled or postponed. As of right now, I think the next one that is on anybody's list is Star Trek Las Vegas. But most of all, we just want to encourage everyone to take whatever measures you can to to stay healthy and isolate or or distance as much as possible. I think that that is all about that topic. However, I in, in good news, uh, we have been able to choose our Picard poster giveaway winners. But by the time this episode drops. Those two people will receive an email. Just be on the lookout for that. And uh, as soon as we get your mailing information back from you, and assuming that post offices are open, uh, we will get those out to you ASAP. On to our main topic for today, then? Yeah. Our main topic for today is the character of Nurse Christine Chapel. The character was originally played by Majel Barrett, created by Gene Roddenberry while they were having an affair after number one was axed from the original pilot. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about Nurse Chapel in our episode on Majel, the first lady of Star Trek, but wanted to return and look a little bit more at her background and moments and I think probably most importantly is what they could have done with the character that they maybe didn't do because there's a lot that they kind of didn't do. How about anything? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's just my two cents. They could have done anything. I firmly believe that number one gets more character development than Chapel does in three years. Mm -hmm. 
that's unfortunate, but but pretty true, yeah. You know, the the general like fan knowledge, right? If you ask anybody, the they say that audiences just weren't ready for number one. Mm-hmm. But there there is a another explanation for why number one was cut, which is that the producers didn't want the creator's mistress starring in the show. Yeah. And Gene Roddenberry said, try and stop me, suckers. <laughs> <laughs> well, and apparently there's a story of that Majel showed up one day in a blonde wig and Gene didn't even realize it was her until he got really close to her. And then she said, basically, if I can fool you, I can fool the networks. And so they, they made this character, although in the original description, she is described in the draft shooting script for The Naked Time, which is her first episode as dark-haired, more starkly attractive than beautiful, a woman of startling vitality, superb (laughs) efficiency. How vital do you have to be for it to be startling? (laughs) I just want want a frame of reference here. Scale of, you know, sleep on the floor to, ah, where where does startling vitality lie? (laughs) She's doing jazzercise the whole time. (laughs) Holy crap, that is superbly efficient. Somewhere around Loxana Troy. (laughs) <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> and she was renamed. Um, originally, she was named Christine Baker and then Christine Duchot, but was renamed apparently as a pun on the Sistine Chapel. Yep. I hate that I never realized that. Because <laughs> that is so good. Oh, man. I feel like I've been out punned by people who, who aren't even in the room. <laughs> 54 years ago. <laughs> I am humbled. I'm humbled here. They were playing the long game, Grace. They did. They were like, one of these days, we're going to make a pun, and it's going to humiliate the bejesus out of... Specifically, Grace. A podcaster. <laughs> they they knew podcasts were going to be a thing. Specifically, this fan who's going to hang out and talk to herself in her room a lot, but record it and put it on the internet. And boy, will her face be red. <laughs> We've now had more fun talking about Christine Chapel than Majel Barrett had acting. Christine <laughs> <laughs> Chapel. <laughs> Am I wrong? Am I wrong? No, I mean, it's true that she has said in the past that it was not her favorite character to play. That she... How diplomatic of you, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> she kind of felt that, you know, she didn't really have much to do other than Moon over Spock and Roger Corby and... And that's accurate. Yeah, and she didn't really uh, have, you know, the agency or the fun of a character like Loxana or the power of a character like Number One. Or even the screen time of a character like Uhura. Yeah. Although in the animated series, she gets a lot more lines. That's true. Because there were fewer voice actors. Another interesting part of the background is in... David Gerald's book that I think kind of segues nicely um, into the discussion of the actual episodes that she's in. But in his book, The World of Star Trek, he said that he thought that Chapel was created really because Spock needed to be, it needed to be dramatized how aloof he was. And it said that that need, quote, requires that a woman fall in love with him and be continually rebuffed. Hence, Nurse Chapel. <laughs> That's so depressing. But but not no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her high point is when Spock throws soup at her. So. <laughs> oh, no. 
It's true, though. That's the best part. Do you think they bring that up at, like, her retirement party? Like, they're like, oh, Christine, you've done so much for us. Hey, remember that time you tried to do a nice thing for Spock and he freaking threw soup at you? But what about when she teaches Uhura how to read again? (laughs) (laughs) All of these are important points. Should we start with the Spock situation, since that starts from the first episode? Oh, it is a situation. (laughs) It's in The Naked Time. She comes on i and i rewatched this episode recently and i was struck by it's cool we get to see her like assisting in surgery and she's wearing gloves being all like medical and clearly very competent before we get to see her become drunk with the whatever juice ew we get to see her efficiency before we see her vitality (laughs) yes we see her efficiency before we see her need to be rebuffed by spock and but then she's like oh mr spock i'm so in love with you then he goes into his room and cries. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this categorizes so many of their interactions. The number of times that Spock just, like, sits in his room and plays his ukulele and is, like, <laughs> real freaking sad. And I'm sorry, like, but you've given me the mental image of a Spock being a ukulele guy, like, with a pork pie hat. And he tries to perform at open mic night. And, like, Chapel is sitting outside his quarters listening and singing along, I don't know how to love him. <laughs> and she puts one sad hand on the door. <laughs> longing look. And then he opens it and throws soup at her because he has special <laughs> hearing. He loved my performance. He gave me fresh homemade soup that I made for him, but he gave it back because he loved it so much and he loved what I was doing. That's how it works. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I assume. Yep. I will say this. Majel Barrett does a good acting job in that she looks real sad. It's true. <laughs> yep. She's She plays Moonstruck very well. Her eyes get very big mm. and they look very blue and mm-hmm. she looks real sad. And I mean, what else can you do with that but do that? When that's what you've got to work with, you do it your best and she does it pretty well. Props. Props. Yeah. I mean, I think she's compelling on screen. I I prefer the, like, blonde beehive to the sort of silvery blonde thing she's mm-hmm. got going mm-hmm. on at the beginning. Yeah. But that's not about her skill. It's about the hairdresser skill, really. Should we revisit the forced to kiss Spock scene in Plato's Stepchildren? That was real sad to me. Yeah. The the thing The thing that has always struck me about that is it's like her greatest wish and it's tainted. Mm-hmm. And that has always made me feel real bad for her. And I, I've always really, at Plato's stepchildren is such a weird episode anyway. Because on the one hand, it's horrible, but on the other hand, like there's such some really interesting ideas in there. And one of them that I've always found interesting is the way that they play that she is like aware that this is non consensual and that it means nothing and it completely ruins everything for her. Whereas they could have played that real different and made it a lot worse. Yeah. But at, at the way it is actually played, it's 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 really heartbreaking, actually. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the way that they wrote Rand as, like, she is necessary for Kirk's character to function, that she doesn't necessarily need to have a character that's interesting on her own. And it seems like that was sort of the the view with Chapel as well. The other thing is, is when we see her later in that animated series Mud episode. Mud's passion? Yeah. It makes me sad that she 
apparently forgets this lesson. Yeah. Mm, because it's uh, very uncomfortable to have her giving drugs to Spock to force him to fall in love with her. Yeah, that's the, like, love potion one that is really just a not-what-not-to-do lesson in consent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It is really unpleasant. He's also just openly getting on Kirk the whole time, which yep. is, like, if you take away all the consent issues, is pretty dang funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes me wonder if that was her choice or the direction in Plato's Stepchildren. Because in, in all of Majel's characters on Star Trek, her acting ability is what gives those characters depth. Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to chapel because she got so little to do but there are layers to everything she does do so you mean you think like she chose to play it more conflicted well that that's the question did she make that choice or was she directed to play it that way e either way she has the ability to do it that director did not have control of them in that scene well that is true <laughs> mm -hmm. i mean william shatner was directing himself in that scene <laughs> Yeah. So, I don't know how much direction she got, to be honest. He was probably wrangling Shatner away from Nichelle Nichols, like, no! <laughs> I, I don't mean to continue to bring up number one as we are talking about Chapel, but... It's hard not to. <laughs> I always, when when I think about the, the, the way she can put so much into to a few seconds, I think about the scene where Pike says, you know, I don't like women on the bridge. Oh, you don't count number one. And then the, the camera lingers on her for like five seconds. Looking like disappointed. Well, her face changes from like, oh, I'm accepted as one of the crew. Like he, do he doesn't think of me as less than because it is still the 60s to, oh, but that also means he'll never think of me romantically. Because we learn in that episode how she has a thing for Pike. Mm -hmm. And you can see in just the tiniest changes to what she's doing, all of these emotions filter through her. And she does that in chapel as well, but gets a lot less screen time to do it in. Mm -hmm. And her dialogue's pretty bad. Yeah. Her dialogue is mostly, well, just about all based around being Mooney over Spock. Shall we talk about her episode with the clones? Clone robots? Clone bots? What are little girls made of? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that one. Which gives her a somewhat surprising background, seeing as yeah. she's so moony for Spock. Yeah, we definitely should talk about this. This is, like, probably the episode which gives her the most scenes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are little girls made of? Yeah. Androids. And, yeah, it's, like, so she was a student in Dr. Roger Corby's class, and they were engaged. So... Yep. It already raises a couple red flags right there that they met when she was, you know, his student and he was her teacher. Yeah. This is something that's going to end on our relationships, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And then he disappeared, and she abandoned her career in bioresearch for a position in Starfleet to hopefully find him one day. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's more that like she made a choice based on the fact that she needed to find her professor fiance than the fact that she made that choice. That's not necessarily a bad choice. Like, I mean, we're I don't think we're supposed to see it as like she took a step down. Yeah, we're supposed to see that as more of her startling vitality. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't read as very efficient to me. 
<laughs> well, apparently it worked. I guess. They stumbled over him in the vast reaches of space. They managed to find this one planet where they make androids or something by putting paper mache on a merry-go-round and making it spin real fast. They found that planet. I mean, I think that the the explanation of, well, she stopped studying and like she's just a nurse now because she needed to get out in Starfleet. Like being a nurse is so easy. Right. I, I think it is giving the idea that nursing is less than. When it's a very challenging position. Oh, we need to have a conversation about that for Let's sure. Let's do that. Because we got a lot, a lot, a lot of comments on this. And actually, like it was the most commonly occurring theme in our comments was around whether it was a, a good thing that she should be made a doctor in Star Trek The Motion Picture. So sorry, we'll come back to androids, Android clones later. Uh, so Dylan via Facebook said, I have this headcanon that in movies two through six, she's head of Starfleet Medical. Oh, wow. I don't know that we know if you can be a nurse head of Starfleet Medical, in, in which case, like, that is not necessarily common about being a doctor. Maybe she became a nurse practitioner. Yeah. Well, and then there it was a comment from Philip who said, there's tendency in fiction that nurses should get promoted to doctor, but there are several levels to nurses, even in the military. There are army colonels who, who are nurses and ran combat hospitals when he was deployed. So there's that comment. And then we had another comment from Leanna who said, mm -hmm. I dislike that she went from being a nurse to being a doctor, which felt like they wanted to, quote, level her up into a more prestigious role instead of acknowledging the value of being a nurse. And then there was a, an acknowledgement, though, that, like, we also should consider what nursing was at the time versus what it is today. So there's all that information <laughs> that we should discuss. Right. So there's this, I think this idea that still exists, at least in my experience, that like nursing is like doctoring junior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is not correct. They're not the same thing. They are different jobs that have different tasks and require different knowledge bases. Mm -hmm. And skills. And skills. Absolutely. And from the sound of it are both incredibly intense in their own way. <laughs> Yep. Except for we just devalue nurses and don't pay them enough. Because we mm -hmm. consider them Dr. Junior. Right. Well, and also because nursing is an overwhelmingly woman-dominated field. Yeah. yeah. More on chapel. <laughs> I think it gets complicated because we're dealing with this character over a long span of time, both in-universe and out of universe in real life. But taking it just like the canon side... We know this character gave up her pursuit of her doctoring to join Starfleet. And personally, I am happy to see that she went back to it and, like, fulfilled at least her professional dream, even if, like, the search for her fiancé didn't work out the way she wanted to. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. And I also – I do think that there's – two sides to the argument around time I, I, I um, and different from our normal conversations about like a show made in the 60s. But just in terms of where nursing was at, I agree that in the, you know, the past 15 years, certainly that nursing has become a lot more, uh, there's a lot more specialized areas of nursing, like the validation of nurse practitioners that has all been like continuing in the more recent pa past and wasn't necessarily as big of a thing in the 60s. I do also think that they did see it as like, you know, uh, leveling her up and didn't really value the contributions of nurses equally to doctors, um, especially 
Mm-hmm. You get that, like, grumpy McCoy doesn't want to deal with her now that she's a doctor and she's going to argue with him. Mm-hmm. Now he has to listen. Oh, now she's gotten all big in her britches. Yeah. But then the other argument is, is there are also inequalities in the profession and in both doctoring and nursing that persist today, partly because of the stereotypes that were occurring in series like this, that cast nursing as a woman-dominated profession, but also as, like, nursing as sexualized. And that's part of the reason we have, like, massive amounts of sexual harassment of nurses today still. Mm -hmm. And that it is – there's stigma against men nursing. Like, Mm -hmm. it's all packed up in all of these gender role pieces that I think are uh, interesting to look at. A friend of mine who is a a cis guy and a nurse says he regularly gets comments like, so what, did you not pass the test to be a doctor? Mm-hmm. Like, in Ish. the hospital at work. It's, yeah. It's BS. Yeah, there's even, like, you know, sitcoms references to, like, male nurse. Like, it's fun, like, fundamentally different. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I agree, like, I don't actually have a problem with the fact that they made her a doctor just as, like, a canon character moment, but I, I think it probably wasn't necessarily that they were trying to do right by the character returning to her roots. That's a nice interpretation. Oh, I'm sure that was not. <laughs> yeah. Let's just stick with that for the time being and I'll feel happier thinking it. Yeah, that's just how it happened in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, more, more power to her. More power to her. Mm-hmm. Shall we go back to the Dick Rock episode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's do it. This episode is very, very bizarre, but again, it's the one where we get to see the most of Chapel, so there's a lot to dig into there. There's a lot of paper mache rubble to sift through. <laughs> yeah, but she did get overshadowed by a girl wearing, like, a scarf pantsuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that would definitely end up as part of the post on our relationships. In the script, it describes Chapel as... She's a strong, calm woman, very much in control of herself, which emphasizes only more for us the flickers of emotion that do occasionally show through. She, like, hurls herself at him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a flicker. Just a flicker. Is that what strong and control means? I think that's just the idea of how how women work in a lot of 60s TV. You know how when women are on screen in the original series, they do that thing with the lighting and everything gets all soft and everything? The Vaseline on the lens, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, that, everything with her in it in that episode is, like, I feel like she should put her hand on the back of her, on the, on her forehead and just swoon. Because <laughs> that's the, the vibe. 80% of her direction is swoon. To be fair to her, I, too, would be super psyched if I lost my fiance and then came upon him unexpectedly in space which was my plan and i wasn't expecting it to work but it actually did (laughs) improbably work i would be very i would be excited i too would throw myself at that man would you swoon though i would i would swoon Yeah, I mean, what are the odds? Exactly, the odds <laughs> statistically. I'm just saying of all the reactions that I would relate to something that's statistically unlikely happening, swooning is probably not the reaction I'd go for, personally. I mean, yeah, I'd probably swear a lot. Also, if I was clinging that strongly to that possibility of finding him and things all working out fine, it is possible I would resist somewhat, realizing he's a huge creep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that's unfortunate. It's an unfortunate side effect of finding your missing fiance on a planet after not seeing him for years. There's a good chance he's become creepy. <laughs> making a sex bot. Making a couple, I think. What if he were always creepy and she just put up with it? That's that's what's the most upsetting thing to me. Because he was her professor and he was picking her up. So by definition, he was a little creepy at least. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What if her time on the Enterprise taught her to value herself more than she did when she first met Corby? Well, we also had a commenter who was like, it's an interesting question about she supposedly is on this mission sort of to find Corby, but then she's in love with Spock before. Yeah. So like, what do we all think of that? We're all allowed to be complicated. Spock's hot. I mean, what do you <laughs> want me to say? Also, I, I do get the sense that she didn't really think she was actually going to find him necessarily. Statistically, Jara, like, <laughs> it's just so unlikely. And also, you know, from, well, from a 60s perspective, maybe not as cool, but like, uh, you know, they didn't have any, it wasn't like before he disappeared, she was like, I'll wave you forever, forever, forever. <laughs> I mean, isn't that kind of the fi- what the fiancé thing is? I mean, in theory. <laughs> Well, I mean, even after a while, they will, you know, like, you can, someone can be declared dead after a while. Maybe that's why she's doing it. She's like, okay, I gotta put in a certain amount of searching for dead fiancé time, then I'm good to go. I just gotta stick this out a few more months, and then I can get that Vulcan love in. Yep. <laughs> gotta collect the life insurance, gotta put in my social, uh, socially mandated grieving time, and I'm good. Okay, but we make fun, but this episode is pretty great. I yeah. mean, it's so funny. You've got Space Lurch, you've got the Dick Rock, you've got that really inexplicable pantsuit made of scarves that I think totally works. You've got sexy robot lady. You've got the rotating <laughs> Kirk table. I mean... The android making merry-go-round. Yeah. This is all gold. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much in terms of sci-fi shenanigans, this episode is probably in the top ten of TOS. It's just so enjoyable. It's just so, what the hell is going to happen next? And every time there's a shot of Kirk cradling the dick rock. (laughs) You say that like the dick rock is a central central part of the episode. It, it is, Grace. is, Grace. If you look at what <laughs> the internet thinks about this episode, it is. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. When I was first time tracking this episode, I was like, oh, God, I really want to say something about how this rock looks totally like a dick, but I'm going to be classy and I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and like two tweets and people are like are you just gonna ignore the dick rock how dare you and i was like okay i see how this is uh, i mean this was pretty early in my first time tracking journey and i just you know i hadn't realized what my audience was like and i was like oh okay i should just talk repeatedly about the dick rock so i no, did i was watching it and my roommate who's never watched star trek just walked into the room and was like oh is this the one with the dick rock yeah see so i i definitely feel like it's the standout moment of this episode. I feel like technically it's a dick stalactite. <laughs> That's where you're drawing the line. <laughs> Wait, which is stalactite or stalagmite? Oh, which... I actually don't know. If it's a stalactite, it won't fit in your butt. But if it's a stalagmite, it might fit in your butt. <laughs> A stalactite is the top and a stalagmite is the bottom. 
Yeah, I think I got it there. Yeah. So is Kirk the top or the bottom? <laughs> Only Spock can tell us for sure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh man. We gotta put a not safe for work on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm totally fine with it. Yep. <laughs> So now that we've talked in depth about chapel and not the dick rock. Uh, well, I I did want to just make note of the part where she tells Kirk that she really doesn't want to be given an order to betray Corby, even after she finds out yeah. his super sketch and says that she'd rather have Kirk, quote, push me off the same precipice where Matthews died. Okay, a little dramatic there, Christine. Oh yeah, gosh. I, but also very calm and very in control of herself. <laughs> You know, for someone who's officially turned into a Wuthering Heights character. That's common controlled for a woman in the 60s. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what would it look like if she wasn't in control, man? They might as well have shot this episode on a windswept moor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, in a cave full of phallic rocks. <laughs> <sighs> and sexy androids. Yeah. Whew. What a great episode. <laughs> Love in a time of carousels that make robots. <laughs> I I guess another one of the very so most of the rest of the highlights and lowlights are very very short. So like more like it's this will be like a strobe light. So like low light. <laughs> yeah, feeding kids ice cream in and the children shall lead. You know, people have a lot of thoughts about what the worst episode of TOS is. I really feel it's this one. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's a fair assessment. I mean, the only good thing about this episode is how happy McCoy is when they start to cry. <laughs> yes. He's like, oh, yes, success. Look at the crying children. He pulls out a shot glass and is like, okay, aim it into here. Aim it into here. <sighs> mm, children tears. I love it. It's so funny. But the rest of the episode's horrible. And I, yeah. And it definitely seems like. Why is it the nurse's job to be serving, like, also the waitress for children? <laughs> because woman. It's almost <laughs> as if nurses are seen as a servile position. Which yeah. Is, mm -hmm. Let us all join together in a moment of, hmm. A fun fact about And the Children Shall Lead is somebody once asked me what my favorite outside references to star trek are and mostly it's dean winchester being a huge trekkie but also i really find it hilarious when in zodiac in the middle of this tense serial killer thriller they do a whole television program and brian cox plays melvin belly who is the guy who is like mm -hmm. this lawyer that was like a side character in this episode and they have a whole conversation about this episode, and they're like, it was really good. And I was like, but it wasn't, though. <laughs> it was very bad. <laughs> they probably all told Melvin Belly it was really good. And I just love that that episode, that, that movie must be solid two hours long. And they were like, this. <laughs> this needs to This stand. is important. We're talking about one of the most notorious uncaught serial killers of all time. But we gotta stand. We gotta stand for some Trek here. And I appreciate it. It's one of my favorite, like, uh, that movie is flawless. David Fincher came to the set day one, said, we always stand Trek in this <laughs> house. <laughs> always! He probably had it written on the wall. 
Alrighty, sorry. That also is not about Christine Chapel, but can you blame me? There's not much to say about Christine Chapel. Uh-huh. All right, let's keep it going. <laughs> oh God, D- do you think every David Fincher movie has a Star Trek reference that got cut out of it? I hope so. Like seven. <laughs> like Benjamin Button. <laughs> the girl with the dragon tattoo. <sighs> is there a Trekkie cut of the entire works of David Fincher? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. In my heart, there is. Release the Trekkie cut. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so let's let's go back to teaching teaching Uhura to read, which is adorable. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure there's much else to say about that scene. <laughs> she taught Uhura to reread. <laughs> Well, the I guess the only thing we heard in comments was this showed the potential of potentially a very cool Chapel Uhura friendship that should have been explored further. Is this the only time they talk together? Because I feel like it's the only time they talk together. It is. Well, at least the only notable time. They're like adjacent in Plato's stepchildren. Like they they stood next to each other while looking flawless. So in a... Sorry, brain... In a brain, yes. (laughs) Brain and brain. Brain, brain, what is brain? So in in Inside Star Trek, it it noted that like Roddenberry had initially hoped or intended for Chapel to become a recurring character like on par with Uhura, like around Mm -hmm. as much as she was and doing as much as she did. But supposedly, Majel said, well, NBC uh, fired me once, so they can't really expand the role. (laughs) Also, we've got in one of our background notes this idea that Lucille Ball apparently wanted to fire her at one point after learning about the affair between her and Jean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this would have been after uh, Lucille's divorce from Desi under similar circumstances, right. as I understand. There was a lot of controversy. Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a dramatic show to be a part of. We're not there yet, but there's more when it there's comes more? to the animated series. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I, I will say, like, when she does get to do medicine, I have zero complaints with those scenes, yeah. like uh, the Tholian web. She also has a nice moment in For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, where she says, I am a nurse first, Dr. McCoy, and a member of the crew of the Enterprise second. And I think that's okay. kind of, it's almost almost like Dr. Crusher-y, like, hmm. I'm going to put my patients first kind of thing. Yeah. So I think that there's like moments of some really nice potential for that character to be like a more fleshed out, admirable figure. And I guess a little less um, needy. You're so diplomatic. (laughs) (laughs) You really are being just absurdly kind. (laughs) One of us has to be. So the animated series. Animated series. Yeah, so the animated series, when that one when that came about, Major Barrett was initially expected slash intended to not only voice Chapel and a bunch of the the extra women on the show, but Uhura as well. No That's a bad idea. Similarly, uh Jimmy Dewan was going to be Scotty and Sulu. No, People who know this story have heard it. Leonard Nimoy uh, was really the one who intervened and said, no, this the, the cast that started together should all be on the show. And it's because of him that they hired on Nichelle and George Takei to voice their own characters. Um, he was not successful getting Walter Koenig back. 
but he joined the cast in, in season two. And, you know, that's a, a big discussion. You can ask Aaron Harvey about all of that. <laughs> Aaron Harvey, didn't he write a book? He did write a book. What? All, all about the animated series. <sighs> but yeah, can you imagine if if oh, uh, man. she was also Uhura? That'd be... Oh, that would be dicey. <laughs> in addition to being like, that's... It's obviously excluding the people of color is yeah. offensive on a different level. But if you also want to just hear how bad that would sound, listen to the storybook records oh of gosh, the original yeah. series, um, where they have like two men voicing all of the male roles and one woman voicing everything else. And she makes like Uhura have this southern drawl. Ooh. <laughs> it's very, very, very bad. <laughs> Voice acting, a real job. Mm-hmm. Voice acting, a complicated job. Yeah. yeah, Leonard Nimoy, great guy. Yeah, the more you know. But Chapel, maybe like Mud's Passion, not not such a great Chapel episode. But she does get to be the acting chief medical officer in the Lorelai Signal. Mm-hmm. That's something. She also shrinks with some other crew members in the Terratin incident. <laughs> Doesn't she show up in red in the Lorelai Signal as well? It's possible because there's like the scene where they're all on the planet and everyone's in red, which makes me think they just had a lot of red dresses hanging around. (laughs) It was a Wizard of Oz situation where like, oh, no, you show up here, you wear red. Yeah. Yeah, So I don't know. I mean, there was also them like, you know, copying animation cells for use in other pieces. So it's Mm -hmm. possible it was just also way cheaper. Maybe red paint was cheaper. I don't know. I don't know. Aaron would know. Aaron would. <laughs> or buy his book. Buy yes. his book. And and buy his book, yes. Very cool. Well, should we it, look at the movies a little bit? There also is not a lot there, but I think it's worth stating because I had a question on the Facebook post about, like, where is this photo even from of her in the yep. Monster Maroon from yeah. Star Trek Four? Yeah. Because, yeah, like, that was such a quick thing that most people didn't even notice it. Yeah. Isn't there a scene with her and Sarek, too, that was cut? Yes. They were going to have her kind of, like, meeting Sarek when he arrived at Starfleet headquarters and talking to him about, you know, how things were going and how how he was feeling about the the crew of the Enterprise, or I guess the, the bounty. That would have been funny and awkward to have her be like, so how's your son that I still kind of have a crush on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, in one of the wide shots when I think... Is it somebody is talking to all the admirals? It's the board of shadowy figures. In the background, you can still see her standing mm-hmm. in the at the back of the room. Yeah, and she's supposed to be talking with Rand in the one of the scenes earlier. Man, I really wish we got to see the women talk together more. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like it's a thing that they feel like we only need a little bit of. But we should have a lot of. I think they saw it as like a nice gesture. Like, we didn't have to do this. <laughs> Enjoy your table scraps, kids. It was like <laughs> fan service, right? But like, not obvious enough. Yeah. The the motion picture novelization by Gene Roddenberry, which is super bizarre and we should definitely do for a book club one day. <laughs> it said that she was going to be the commanding or chief medical officer before Disco McCoy came back. But she was very pleased that she didn't have to be. Who? Chapel or Majel? Chapel. Oh, it's in the okay. It's in the novelization. So, sorry, we skipped. I'm going back to Star Trek The Motion Picture, where she is now a doctor and 
McCoy says to Kirk, like, I'm going to need a top nurse, not a doctor who will argue every little diagnosis with me. And this is not what the difference between doctor and nursing is, but it's implied by this statement is like, I need someone who isn't as educated and won't get all uppity. (laughs) Jesus. I need someone who will do what I say. Not a good look. Yeah. Mm. Women should stay in their place. (laughs) Staying alive. Staying alive. (laughs) I do love Disco McCoy, though. What's not to love? And his coke binge aesthetic. (laughs) But but she does get the rank of commander in Star Trek IV, and she's supposed to be in charge of the relief efforts. Okay, that's something. I feel like the biggest problem we have with her is everything cool about her is implied and not on screen. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah, exactly. It's just in the script and we're like, look what what we're doing for Chapel. We've given her a rank. Oh, it's like Disney's gay mm. representation. Yeah. Oh, not inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um and then there's like a whole whack of background about why Nurse Chapel was not but maybe was going to be in the JJ verse and it was established in dialogue in 2009. Because McCoy calls for Nurse Chapel, but yeah. you never see her. So, um, implied again. Oh my god, she is Nurse not appearing in this film. Yeah. <laughs> there is a blonde female medic with a 1960s style beehive who is seen in the end of Star Trek 2009. And a lot of people are like, maybe it's Nurse Chapel. We really are fighting for scraps. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And then there was a lot of expectation that maybe Alice Eve's character was going to be Nurse Chapel. I do remember that. We were hoping. Yeah, I mean, I was also just hoping if she was Carol Marcus, she would be better. Yeah. <laughs> because I liked I liked Carol Marcus. But yeah, but she does say she's friends with Chapel, and then Kirk says he doesn't remember her, which was used to show Kirk's attitudes towards women, as we which have is- talked about in our JJ verse episode that, that Yay. is how- Kirk became more of an asshole. It was bogus, kids. Yeah. Yeah. We've actually got a, a quote here from Alex Kurtzman about the original drafting plan with Nurse Chapel in Star Trek 2009. In our original, original draft, we wrote some scenes with Nurse Chapel, but ended up losing them. Even in our first draft, it's not included. We originally had a flirtation between her and Spot. Nurse Chapel was clearly really obsessed with him, and he was not giving her the time of day, which we thought was funny. But then we came into the Spock and Uhura connection established in the film, and that's why Nurse Chapel ended up on the wayside. So that, end quote. So that feels a little telling on a lot of levels mm -hmm. in terms of they thought, oh yeah, this character that people really like and have, you know, developed this rich sort of backstory around and all that. She's there for to hit on Spock and fail. Yeah. That's what she's there for. To be fair to him, he was remaining true to the character. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of glad they cut it if that was the only thing they were going to do with it. Yeah, definitely. Well, and we may never know the potential of Chapel in the JJ-verse. There's something to be said about, you know, putting so much work into updating something and making it, you know, hip and sexy, but staying true to your source material by sticking to some really unfortunate arbitrary rules put in place by the original work you were working with. Mm -hmm. Man. Should we finish off with having, looking at some of the ideas people had for what they would have liked to see in with Chapel? That'd be great. We got some good ones, too. Again, I pitch anything. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes, that sounds awesome. Let's hear them. Well, Maria on Facebook said, I wish she could have been a little matronizing to her patients. Like, how are we feeling today, Captain? There's my brave little soldier. (laughs) (laughs) Have you eaten all your oatmeal yet? (laughs) You're not going to get better till you eat all your oatmeal. How can you have your pudding if you don't eat your meat? (laughs) Oh, that's Did funny. you take your vitamins today? And then we've got one from Aaron via Facebook that uh, I was wondering I could share. I always yeah. wanted Voyager to somehow encounter Dr. Chapel, which would have been cool to see a ship that's led by a female science officer meeting up with this nurse who was one of the few, you know, women science representations we had on the main crew in the original series. She'd have been very old by then. So old. Or... She could have been a hologram right. that the doctor ah. – I mean, it could have been played by Majel probably at the time, which would be the challenge. Unless it, she was – before she passed away, so it would have been had, had to be very early mm-hmm. in the series. But she could have been playing like Elder Statesman Dr. Chapel right. kind of thing. Or it's some kind of time loop or something. If they could find Scotty just hanging out in a transporter <laughs> on TNG, then they could definitely run into Chapel on Voyager. They've done it before. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I mean, there's the whole, like, the, you know, back-in-time Romulan ship. Like, there's a lot of science fiction shenanigans they have to encounter different people of different ages and areas of space. You say you can't do it, you're not trying very hard. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. still waiting on our medical fleet that I was promised in all good things. So. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess she could have been, like, a colleague of Barkley and Zimmerman or something. Mm-hmm. Or concept they stumble upon a planet that dr corby was hanging out on and they find a (laughs) creepy proto robot that's his attempt at making a robot chapel company (laughs) if they had done that grace we would have already covered this on our show and ripped it to pieces and Paris right? is like, oh, cool, vintage robot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> but doesn't that sound like a horrible thing that could have happened? It does. But I want to talk about this comment from Lauren on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Who says, unfortunately, Chapel was defined by her relationship to men, romantic with Corby or Spock, professional with McCoy. I would have liked to know why she joined Starfleet. Because of men. We covered that. <laughs> What drew her to medicine and how she developed interests outside of pursuing a relationship? I would yes. really love to know what drew her to medicine. I mean, bio research, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I want to know how, how she got into that also. And what interests she would have outside of medicine and men. Mm-hmm. Um, cooking. Right. We know. Soup, specifically. Yep. Yep. T- teaching, teaching grown-ups how to read. <laughs> but m- maybe she... You know, is interested in literature. She's a big hairdo enthusiast. <laughs> we know that. Oh my! Yeah, there was. I think there was a lot of things they could have done that that could have been really neat. There was a lot of potential. I'm just glad that Majel Barrett finally got the character she deserved. Yeah, with Luxana. Yeah, it took a while, but she got there. Mm-hmm. And then that you know, number one has been you know, sort of, at least in in the fandom. And I mean, I would argue on Discovery, but she's been like, given her more of her due as a character. Yeah, definitely. Even, you know, regardless of your thoughts on the newest incarnation, I think it's uh, good to see that like that character has its time. It is good to see. 
Maybe we'll see Chapel have her time sometime. Yeah, and maybe we could also see nurses that, uh, like, have... I So, like, there are other nurses in Star Trek that I don't think are kind of treated or, you know, maybe disempowered the way that Chapel is. But I also don't know that they're really treated as doing something more than just assisting the doctor. Mm -hmm. So maybe it would be neat to have a little bit more, a more empowered nurse character. Yeah, I think of of Nurse Ogawa is the Mm -hmm. first one that comes to mind. But then there's also Kess and even Mm -hmm. Paris. Yeah. Yeah. But they are very much, I mean, Kess, I think, even calls herself the doctor's assistant. Yes. And that is very much the role that nurses on star trek play is the doctor's Mm -hmm. assistant and nurse ogawa eventually becomes dr ogawa as well Mm -hmm. yes yep so still some potential work to do i was about to say it's been a long road getting from there to here but you know what (laughs) we haven't come that far in terms of nurse representation do we have any final thoughts then on this character of nurse chapel and what we would like our listeners to take away about the character today Going to the chapel and we're gonna get rejected. (laughs) Gonna get rejected by a pointy swarthy alien man. Okay, so wait. Is is chapel TOS's Jordy? Yes. (laughs) Yes. To be fair, she's only really rejected by two dudes. Yeah, she's uh it's not that she like lacks social skills. <laughs> Two rejections does not a Geordie make. <laughs> you need at least ten rejections to get to Geordie status. Poor Geordie. Then you get a punch card. <laughs> <laughs> One free holodeck date. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> right, any other final thoughts on this character? She deserved better. She deserved better. A running theme with TOS. Shocking. Truly. That really should be the subtitle of our whole podcast. (laughs) Women at Warp. She deserved better. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jara, where can people find you online if they want to hear more from you? You can find me at Jara Penguin on Twitter. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And what about you, Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And what about you, Andy? I am also on Twitter, and you can find me at First Time Track. And again, I'm Grace, and you can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, and also hanging out, day drinking on the patio, because there's nowhere to really go right now. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com, and for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com or on the Roddenberry Podcast Network Master Feed.